0: Hi friends and welcome to another episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. In this series, we're taking a theme or a topic and simply asking what does Jesus have to say about that? Uh, what's Jesus' take on whatever that theme is? And today's theme is attention. Attention feels like it's a a, a big and important thing for us in our daily lives today, in our in our um, technology and digital age, you know, our way of, of of living, the way we can just have instant access to anything and everything. And, and, and the biggest platform at the moment is TikTok, which runs off these very short, instant little hits. And it's on to the next and on to the next and on to the next, because that's all we can handle. And start by uh, reading a quote from a guy called Sean Parker, who was the first president of Facebook. Um, And this is the quote that he said, I think it'll have, it'll speak into this idea of perhaps where we're at um, in culture right now. Um, So he says this, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And then that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting the vulnerability of human psychology. What he's talking about there is this attention economy and how, like our, our energy, like our time, like our finances, attention is a resource that we have and we only have so much of it. No matter who you are, no matter how successful you might feel you are or Unsuccessful you might feel you are, we all have the same number of hours a day. We all have twenty four hours in our day. doesn't matter who you are, we all get the same, and we all have the same levels of attention, and we're working on this this deficit at the moment where it's coming down and it's coming down. I read a statistic that said that um in the year 2000, so before this kind of digital revolution, before all of this social media really kind of sunk its claws into us, in the year 2000, our attention span was 12 seconds. Since then, up until not even now, I don't know what the the most, most um, direct kind of... Uh, quotes and statistics would be but but recently I read something that said that we have dropped now, our attention span has dropped to 8 seconds 8 seconds that's less than a goldfish it's clear we have a problem it's clear we have an issue and it's clear that it has to do with our attention It has to do with our focus. It has to do with what we're pointing our lives towards. And one of the key issues behind the reason that our attention is suffering quite so much in today's culture is because we feel rushed. We feel like we need to hurry. We feel like we're not being productive enough, like we need to be doing 27 things all at once. And some of that does actually come from social media. So you see how much more that person's getting done or where that person's going and what that person's doing. And it increases the pressure on us to try and perform in that way as well. monk Thomas Merton said that the rush and pressure of modern life is a pervasive form of contemporary violence. All this rushing around, all the pressures and stresses that either other people put on us or we put on ourselves. All the expectations that we put on each other and ourselves. He calls a pervasive form of contemporary violence. And I would argue here that even though that sounds quite strong language, violence is the right word. You see, all this hurrying around kills our relationships. See, because the opposite of this, love and a meaningful relationships, well, they take time. They take work. They take this kind of slow, methodical plodding in one direction towards this other person. That's how we love. But hurry doesn't have that. Hurry wants it now. Hurry wants it instantaneous. In fact, hurry wants it yesterday. This rush and pressure and hurry also kills our joy, it kills our gratitude, it kills our appreciation. Because people who are rushing around don't have the time to stop and savour the moment. They don't have the time to look and pay attention. And this rush and this pressure and this hurry kills wisdom as well. You see, wisdom's born in the quiet, Wisdom's born in the slow. Wisdom has its own kind of pace that's not running at the same pace as everything else in our world wants to run. It makes you wait for it. it makes you wait for that inner voice to kind of wait. It, it makes us wait until we're slow enough and we're quiet enough to hear that voice. So that's a little bit as a bit of a, an intro as to why attention needs to be <laughs> paid attention to. Why we need to focus on what this is doing to us. Why, if we're not careful, we can get to the end of the day and realise, what have I done? What have I spent my time on? What have I spent my energy and my focus on? What's taken all of my attention today? So what's Jesus' take on this? What's Jesus' take on this issue of attention we don't have to look very far into the gospels to see that we get reminded and re-reminded and re-re-reminded of all the ways that god sees us and and the life and the actions of jesus the way that he loves and the way that he lives embodies this seeing of other people where you have Jesus and these huge crowds of people. And Jesus doesn't just see a block of people and say, oh, there's a crowd, there's a thousand people, there's 5,000 people, there's 12,000 people. No, he doesn't even say, well, those, those are all those clumped together issues all in one big block. No, Jesus sees the individual, even in these crowds. Even when we're told that Jesus sees this crowd of people and has compassion on them, he doesn't have compassion on a block of people he has compassion for the individual in the crowd he doesn't just see this generic crowd of people he sees the person and he sees the individual needs of that person it's why I'm sure the disciples wanted him to rush, wanted him to be busy, wanted him to move from this town to that town, to that village, to this meeting appointment, to this teaching place, to this um, banquet, to this party, to onto this and this and this and this to improve and to to get his kind of message out there as effectively as possible. He needed to be moving. And they were his kind of they were his uh, PR company, weren't they? They, were his, they weren't They were just his, his, his assistants. They were the people repping him. They were the people trying to get things ready. They were crowd control. They were m- dealing with his schedule. They were moving him from place to place to place. And whenever they became frustrated, why were they becoming frustrated? It was because Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus was slowing down. Jesus was paying attention. And over and over again, you see, there's a big crowd of people, and yet Jesus sees the one Jesus sees the woman with the internal bleeding. Jesus sees that blind man begging, and he is his cries. Jesus sees that leper stood over in the distance. In the synagogue, when it's all about teaching and learning and putting your interpretations across, Jesus has time and stops and sees the man with the, the withered hand, or the woman bent over, doubled with, with paralysis. Jesus doesn't just see a crowd of people. Jesus sees the person. Let's just take a couple of examples just to finish with. Um, John chapter four, very well-known story. It says this. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. The woman said to him, ''Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water.'' He told her, ''Go, call your husband and come back.'' ''I have no husband,'' she replied. Jesus said to her, ''You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true.'' ''Sir,'' the woman said, ''I can see that you are a prophet.'' Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither here on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And then going down a little bit, um, it says, she left the water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could this be the Messiah? This woman went every day at midday to this well. Why? Because that was the hottest point of the day. And nobody in their right mind would be going to the well then. You go before the sun's up in the morning or after the sun's gone down on an evening. We know all about this with the heat wave that we've been going through in the UK recently, where it's just too hot to be out. And so you would wait for the sun to go down and then at like half past eight at night, you'd go and sit in your garden just to try and get a little bit of coolness. But this woman went at midday, the hottest time when she knew no one would be there to see her. More accurately, no one would be there to judge her. But we're told that Jesus comes to her and Jesus sees Her, And how does she respond to this this conversation with Jesus? She goes away from that conversation completely changed. She goes back to all of the other people in the village, to people that she'd been so desperately trying to avoid up until that point and says, come and meet a man who sees me, who truly sees me, who has paid attention to who I am and what I say and knows everything about me another example from um, Luke chapter uh, 19 again another well-known story Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy he wanted to see who Jesus was but because of the short because he was short he could not see over the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house to day. So he came down at once and was well and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter He's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So you have Zacchaeus up in that tree trying to what? Pay attention to Jesus, trying to see who Jesus is trying to see if what he'd heard the rumours all of the stories that he'd heard that had reached this village before Jesus himself had to see if all of this was true trying to get a better view of Jesus and we're told that Jesus stops he's walking at that slower pace again isn't he why so that he can pay attention and he stops and he looks up directly under that tree and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus Zacchaeus goes away from that conversation and away from that meal completely changed. He pays back what he owes people and then some, and he gives more money to the poor. Why? Because Jesus sees him. Because Jesus pays attention. One more example of the God who sees. From Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave him to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said... Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will become too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So he is Hagar, an Egyptian slave taken away from her land, taken away from her family, taken away from everything that she knows and loves and brought into this foreign household, into this foreign land with these weird foreign people with their different traditions and customs and religions and ways of doing things and ways of seeing things. And as a slave, she would live a life of obscurity. As a slave, she would spend her days not being seen. It was her job to get the jobs done that needed to be done for Sarai and then to stay out of the way, to work in the shadows, to not be seen then all of a sudden she is seen, she's seen by Sarai as this answer to their problem, that they can't have a child together, Sarai and Abram, so this is Sarai's way of solving the problem, that through her servant, through Hagar, through her possession, she doesn't even see her as a person at this point, she's property that's owned by her, through Hagar, maybe they can have this family. And when that actually happens, then it's flipped again and she doesn't want to see her anymore. Now she's in her face all the time. And now the fact that she's pregnant and Sarai isn't is there full front and centre all the time. And so she sends her away. She doesn't want to see that and be reminded of that and pay attention to that anymore. And it's here in the wilderness as she's been discarded once again, left to die in the wilderness, pregnant, alone feeling totally unseen that here is Yahweh, the God who sees. And that's exactly uh, what Hagar names God, isn't it? She gives God a new name, the God who sees. And not only that, but she recognises that she is able to see the God who sees. That there is a God out there, and that's the message for us now as I finish, that There is a God who sees you today. That there is a God who is paying attention to you. Not just you as a bunch of people, a crowd, a a, a person in a crowd. But sees you as an individual person with individual needs. That's the God that we know and love. That's the God that we serve. The God who sees. And not just that, but like with Hagar here, we get to see the God who sees. The God who pays attention to us, we now get to pay attention to. That's ultimately what our worship is. It's who or what we pay attention to. It's who or what we give our time and our talents and our treasures to. So friends today, may you see the one who sees you. May you live your life on purpose. And may you live your life paying attention to the God who pays attention to you. Grace and peace.